Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Hey, Connect, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris, get to serve on the team here. And thrilled that you decided to come and worship and grow with us today. We get to continue in our All In series, which is all about following Jesus together. And I've got to share with you a quick story before we jump in. Uh, I was talking with Blake right before this service, and he was sharing how, uh, well, they just, they've had, they have six Haitian friends who literally just moved here from Haiti a little over a week ago. And Fritzner, who was up here on the Cajon, uh, was one of them. So they moved here a little over a week ago, and they've visited a couple of different churches in the area, some awesome churches in the area. And this week, Fritzner pulls Blake aside and says, "Uh, I can't just go to church. I've got to serve. Amen. Amen. That is what this is all about. That's what it means to be all in with Jesus. We're not simply consumers, we're contributors. We are the church. And we get to make a difference, not just by serving with the church, but, but God has something even more for us as well. And that's what I want to talk about today. You see, we all, we all want to make a difference. We want our lives to matter. We want to contribute. Uh, we want to have an impact. I've never met someone who their, their life goal is to be a couch potato. Never met that person. We all want to make a difference, but not all of us do. Why is that? I think it's because we're insecure about ourselves. We're afraid that we're not going to measure up to our expectations for ourselves, to others' expectations for us. Uh, Maybe we just don't feel good enough to be used by God. Uh, maybe we think, oh, doing big things for God, yeah, like that's for pastors and missionaries, you know, like people who they've got all their questions answered, they've got their life figured out. And if that is true, like, count me out, because I, I have questions myself, and I've got plenty of room for improvement. Just ask my wife. We all want to make a difference. We want to have this impact, but fear cripples us, at least too many of us. So instead of being an impact player on the field, what we settle for is just cheering from the stands. We'll clap, we'll cheer, we'll celebrate when that thing on stage happens. But, but Jesus never invited us to simply be fans of him. He invited us to be followers of him. So we're not just supposed to in- attend church on big days, sit back, enjoy the show, clap, maybe toss some money in the offering plate like it's our, our price of admission. No, no, no. God's got so much more for us. You see, we, we want to make an impact. We want our lives to matter because God created us with a purpose. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 tells us, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, God's purpose for us is so much greater than simply attending a service, giving, even being a part in that way. He's got even more for us. It's a life that we live, and it's how we go about our every day. We, we as followers of Jesus, we don't actually attend church. We are the church. We don't consume. We're contributors. That's who we are in Christ. 
Now, the invitation of Jesus was never to just be a fan of him. It was to follow him, to be all in and follow him together with other followers of Jesus. Now, if we're going to follow him, we should know what his goal is and his game plan to accomplish that goal. And that's what we're going to be reminded of today. Because we want to have an impact, and Jesus actually expects us, as his followers, to have an impact, to make a difference with our lives. And he gives us a very clear way of living in which we can be sure we won't just have a big impact, we'll actually have an internal impact. Now, if you've got a Bible with you, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 5? That's where we're going to start here in just a moment. Now, if you need a Bible, you can uh, follow along on our app. There's a place you can take notes there as well. As we prepare to dive into Scripture, would you bow your heads and let's pray together. And let's ask that God speak to us in this time. Lord, we come before you so grateful that you love us, you love us unconditionally, and at the same time you invite us to make a difference with our lives. As we look at how Jesus did that and how we can follow him and make a difference too, would you speak to each and every one of us? Wherever we're at on our spiritual journey, would you speak to us today? Would you encourage us through your word? And would you unleash us to make a difference? We ask this in your name. Amen. What we're about to read was written by Luke. Luke was a doctor and historian in the first century, and he records the following account from the really early days of Jesus' ministry. This is Luke 5, 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knee, uh, fell at Jesus knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the fish that they had taken, the catch they had, of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, at first glance, this is just like a cool story of Jesus showing up and giving a couple fishermen like the best catch ever, the best day of fishing ever. That's what it looks like from our 21st century perspective. But there was so much more going on here than meets our 21st century eye. You see, back then, a Jewish boy didn't dream of being a fisherman one day. Oh no, the dream of every Jewish boy was to be the disciple of a rabbi. And when they were six years old, these Jewish boys would start school, or should I say synagogue. In this case, it was called Bet Sefer, House of the Book. And in this four-year school, what they would do is they would memorize the first five books of the Bible. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would memorize it all from the history to the laws to the blueprints, genealogies, all of it. Jewish boys would memorize the first five books of our Bible, the Hebrew, Hebrew scriptures. And then if they were really good, like the cream of the crop, upon graduation, they would continue on for another four years of school with Bet Talmud. This stands for House of Learning. And if the memorization of the first five books was a lot, they were going to have a hard time with the rest because they memorized the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, our, our Old Testament. So the Psalms and Proverbs, uh, more history, uh, prophets, all these things, these Jewish boys would memorize and internalize. And now upon graduation from Bet Talmud, at the age of 14, the best of the best, these are the rock stars, the valid Victorians, all right? They would approach a rabbi for Bet Midrash for another four years of study where they would follow this rabbi around. Now, the way this worked is the, the disciple, the disciple wannabe, would go to the rabbi and say, like, can I follow you? And if the rabbi said yes, he'd say, come, follow me. That was, those are the words that every Jewish boy wanted to hear, but very few ever did. Now, Simon Peter, James, his brother John, they were fishermen, which inherently means they didn't make the cut. We don't know when they dropped out of school. We just know they weren't good enough. They weren't good enough to continue on. They had, they had fallen off, and now they're doing what their parents had done or what they could do to earn money, make a living. Nothing wrong with that. Just, that just wasn't the dream for them because they were like every Jewish boy. But, but they were not good enough. Now, I didn't flunk out of school, but I, I'm, I can f familiar, I'm like familiar with that feeling of not feeling good enough. I remember back in school when we'd have to give class presentations, my hands would sweat, my knees would shake, even before I stood up in front of the class because I was freaking out that I was going to blow it and that, that my peers were going to think I was a failure. Uh, even still, these days, I don't get quite as nervous talking in front of people, but there are days where I don't feel like I'm a, a good enough husband, I'm a good enough dad, good enough pastor. And when I look at this story, I find tremendous hope. Because here we've got Peter, James, and John, Simon in the, the passage, we know him most commonly as Peter. They were not good enough to be a disciple of a rabbi. And yet, Apparently, they also weren't very good fishermen either. They had spent the entire night fishing, and they had nothing to show for it. But then Jesus shows up on the scene, and with him, a large crowd of people wanting to learn from Jesus. So Jesus hops in Peter's boat. They go out a little bit from shore so that Jesus has a little bit of space. He can address the crowd. He teaches. He does his thing. And then Jesus did what Peter did not want to do. He, he turns to him. Well, let's just read it. He, he turns to him, and in verse 4, we, we see, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. 
Think about that, like feeling like a failure of a fisherman. The last thing Peter wanted to do was fish in front of a large crowd of people. But Jesus knew what was coming. So Jesus had Peter put down his nets and a miracle happened. They didn't just fill one boat. Peter had to call James and John and they filled their boat too. That day, Peter learned a very valuable lesson. Without Jesus, we have reason to fear, but with Jesus, we have reason for faith. Without Jesus, we have reason for fear, but with Jesus, we have reason for faith. And and faith in Jesus obeys Jesus even when what Jesus is asking of us doesn't make 100% sense. I mean, oddly enough, sometimes our obedience to Jesus actually reveals our under, it unlocks our understanding. Uh, Look at this account. Peter let down his nets, and then, after Peter obeyed, and then Jesus did the miracle. And then it made sense. Oh, this isn't just any rabbi. This This is someone I should pay attention to. But Jesus wasn't done with Peter. He was just getting started. Luke tells us, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. With Peter's undivided attention, Jesus invites Peter into more. He invites him, a failure of a fisherman, to now become a fisher of men. He was going to take ordinary Peter, and he was going to do extraordinary things through him. And that's what Jesus does, and that's what gives me hope. While I don't feel good enough, while I can feel pretty ordinary, when I see what Jesus did and called Peter to, And then as we're going to see throughout the rest of Peter's following of him, Jesus did some pretty extraordinary things and included Peter in some pretty extraordinary things. Makes me want to be a part of something similar. And the hope we have is that to have an impact, we don't have to have the whole Bible memorized. We don't have to be the best in our class. We simply just have to say yes when Jesus says, come, follow me. Just know that when we say yes to Jesus, his vision for us is so much greater than our vision for ourselves. Now, if, uh, if you know Jace, you know that Jace loves to hunt. And one of the things I love about Jace, Jace is part of our church family. One of the things I love about Jace is that he is all in for Jesus. Uh, at home, work, hunting, doesn't matter. Jace is all in with Jesus. Now, a year ago, Jace went up to hunt like he usually does. He gets in the parking lot pretty late at night, still has to hike in, and he arrives, and there's only one other person in the parking lot, and this person clearly has not hiked in to hunt before. Okay, let's just put it that way. And Jace says, hey, do you want to hike with me? And he kind of, you know, dilly-dallys around, doesn't really want to, like, give up his man card and say, I don't know what I'm doing. But he follows Jace up the trail, and they just, they hike in silence good man fashion. And along the way, Jace just says, I felt like I was supposed to tell him that Jesus loves him. So Jace has been following Jesus for a while while now. He knows not to not do what Jesus is asking of him. So he just turns over his shoulder and says, hey man, I don't know your story, but I want you to know Jesus loves you. Now to Jace's surprise, the guy says, thanks man, that means a lot. What, what strikes me about this is that Jace pulled into that parking lot that night with a vision to hunt. Hopes, dreams of what he was going to shoot and kill. 
God had Jace arrive in that parking lot at that time to meet that guy because God wanted to tell that guy that Jesus loves him, and he wanted to use Jace to do it. Sometimes, God, when we follow Jesus, God will use the most ordinary of circumstances to invite us to do some extraordinary things. Soon after, Peter, James, John, they left everything to follow Jesus in Luke 5. In Luke 6, Jesus chose 12 disciples, Peter, James, John, and nine other guys who are going to follow him very intentionally. In fact, one scholar has done some study on, on the Gospels, and when he reads through the Gospels, he thinks that Jesus spent 73% of his time investing in these few guys. 73% of the time. Like, that's a disproportionate amount of time in the few and used them to reach the many. So these guys, these 12 guys, follow Jesus together. They listen to Jesus' teachings together. They observe his healings together. Uh, they process it all together. They discuss it. And then just months after, Jesus calls them all to follow him. You know what Jesus did? It was the craziest thing. He sent them out to share what he said and do what he did. Just months after inviting them to follow him. Uh, Luke 9, you can flip there in your Bible with me. Luke 9 begins this way. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Jesus' approach to discipling his disciples was highly communal, and it was highly experiential. He calls these guys to follow him together, and then even while they're still green, even while they still have questions, he sends them out to say what he said and do what he did. Uh, very quickly, the disciples learned Jesus wasn't inviting them to simply be fans of him. Jesus was inviting them to join him on the field, to participate in his ministry. And he wasn't even calling them to be fans at all. He was calling them to be followers. And followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, joined Jesus on mission. When I got baptized, I was 14 years old. Uh, I had grown up in a Christian family. My parents raised me in the church, was super thankful for that. But when I was 14, I felt like, hey, this faith thing, this following Jesus thing, that's not just my parents' thing. This is my thing. Like, I'm following Jesus with my life. And as I start to follow him, I, I felt pretty lonely in my school. I was the only Christian in my school that I was aware of for many years as a teenager. Until my senior year, honestly, of high school, when my brother entered high school. I felt very alone. So I craved time with my church family, with my friends from youth group. Craved it. I would do anything I could. I'd arrive early on Sundays to help with setup and doing slides just to be around people who love Jesus too. And then I would drive back again on Sunday evening and do youth group. Sometimes even midweek, I would drive 30 or 45 minutes across town on a Wednesday night to participate in a small group with my friends. I craved this time together. Uh, youth group is where I would go to, to learn about Jesus and follow him with my friends. And honestly, I don't remember almost anything that my youth pastor taught. 
I just, I don't remember much of it. His name was Jared. He was a great guy. He was a good teacher. I just don't remember a lot of what he said. What I do remember, though, is how Jared discipled us in our following of Jesus. He did it in a very Jesus-like way. You see, uh, we'd, <laughs> we'd go on Friday nights and we'd serve the homeless at the soup kitchen. Or maybe on a Saturday morning, we'd walk through the neighborhood of the low-income housing around where we were meeting as a church, and we would pray for the neighborhood there, and we would talk to the neighbors. Instead of going to a flashy conference with fun activities, what Jared had us do was go on a mission trip, whether locally or globally, where we could serve, and we could practice what Jesus preached. And then what we would do, inevitably, whether it was at a park or at a restaurant around a table, like we'd circle up after the experience and we'd debrief it together. We'd just talk about it together. And I don't remember much of what Jared taught me, but I do remember how he pushed me, how he stretched me, challenged me to get outside of my comfort zone. And when I was outside of my comfort zone, following Jesus with my friends, that's where I experienced growth, so much growth that I actually wanted to do what Jared did. I wanted to be a youth pastor. So I came out here, I went to Colorado Christian University, and I remember sitting in my first youth ministry class, like intro to youth ministry. In one of those first classes, the professor shared a statistic with me that just baffled me. It was not my experience growing up. He shared that that 50% of students graduate from their faith when they graduate from high school. 50%, that's like one out of two, walk away from Jesus when they walk across the stage. That is tragic. And it, it, not only the tragedy of it caught my attention, but it was so different from what I had experienced. Then and even today, I would confidently say that at least 70 to 80% of my friends who I was following Jesus with back in high school, they're still passionately following Jesus today and they're helping others do the same. Why would that be? Why? Well, I think God's grace for sure, but I also think it has to do with how Jared discipled us. He didn't just communicate information and expect that transformation had taken place. He invited us to follow Jesus by actively following Jesus. It was in the experience, the communal experience, that we were discipled. We we learned, I learned from... Just, I didn't know any better. It was like, but when you follow Jesus, you, you just live on mission with him. Your weekends look different. Your nights look different. Your life looks different. And when, when you're just joined Jesus on mission, inevitably you grow in your relationship with him. You have to depend on him because you're, you're uncomfortable. You're stretched. Now, as part of Jesus' discipleship with the 12, after he sent them out, in, in the beginning of Luke chapter 9, Luke 9, 10 tells us that they debriefed when he came back. It, Luke describes it very simply like this. When the disciples returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. It's a brief description. A similar account actually happens in Luke 10. Jesus sends out more, 72 disciples now. They go out, say what Jesus said, do what Jesus did, and then they come back and they debrief and they have a longer conversation. At least Luke records a longer conversation. But the point is, look, following Jesus is highly experiential. And it's highly communal. And we learn in the process. Now, as Jesus sent out the 12, 
as part of their discipleship, part of our discipleship, part of our spiritual growth is being sent out to bless the one far from God. Bless is just a simple acronym that we use as a church to put some handles on what does it look like for us to practically love the one far from God. Well, we can begin with prayer. We can listen to them. We can eat with them. Serve them. Share with them. We can share Jesus with them, share our story with them. We can invite them to church. We can do a bunch of different things. There's just a a bunch of different ways that when we're living as followers of Jesus, we can love the people we encounter on a day-to-day basis. Jesus took a highly communal, highly experiential approach to growing his followers, to discipling them. And they grew tremendously. He took fishermen and they did become fishers of men. Ordinary people who ended up doing extraordinary things. And as we make disciples, we try to follow Jesus in his disciple-making way. So we try to have a very communal, very experiential approach to disciple-making. If you come on Sundays and think that's good enough, I'm sorry, you're just not going to experience a whole lot of transformation, at least with this church. But if you want to experience transformation, what we try to do is we try to follow Jesus together. That's why we're always talking about community groups where you can know others and they can know you and you can encourage each other and grow together and ask questions and and actually try to live like Jesus lived together. One of the things we often talk about in our groups is how did you, who'd you bless this week? How did it go? What worked? What didn't? Let's just encourage one another to learn from each other. If you want to join a group, they're kicking off in a couple weeks. You can find out a ton more on the app. Talk to me, talk to any of the group leaders Uh, We'd be happy to connect you with them. You can find out more. Now, Jesus' final charge to his disciples is the same to us today. He said this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus charged his disciples to go make disciples. Part of being a disciple is making disciples. It's multiplying. So how does one make a disciple? Jesus very simply put it this way, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You don't need the title pastor to baptize your friend who wants to follow Jesus. You can baptize them, so go do it. Uh, You don't have to have a degree in theology to lead a group in your home and encourage one another as you all are following Jesus together. You can do that with your family. You can do it with your friends. I I have the degrees from my schooling, and now I've got a title. But frankly, that gives me no confidence when I need to share my faith with a friend at the gym. In fact, I still get nervous sometimes when, when faith comes up and I'm like, okay, here's, the, here's an opportunity. And part of me is like, I, I want to hold back. Like, I don't want them to reject me. I don't want them to think I'm weird. But what gives me confidence in those moments is what Jesus said before and after his charge to make disciples. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is all-powerful everywhere. So when we go about our lives, we can do so with confidence. We can do so with courage. We can love well because we don't do it by our power. 
We do it by His power. He is with us. Now, this is great news, because have you ever tried to force your beliefs on someone? Yeah, me neither. Super awkward, right? It's so awkward. Oh, I hate when I do that. I feel awkward. They feel awkward. No one wants to be told what to believe when they're not even asking. But you know what's thrilling? It's thrilling when the Holy Spirit's working in somebody, and then the Holy Spirit invites us, prompts us to just join in on that work. It could be by listening. It could be through praying for the person. It could be sharing something with them. Each instance is a little different, but when the Holy Spirit's working and you feel that, like, I, I'm supposed to say something or I'm supposed to do something here, and you do it, it is thrilling. When the Holy Spirit takes the lead, we have nothing to fear. We just get to walk in faith. Similar to that lesson that Peter learned that first day Jesus invited him, come follow me. The disciples did something outlandish. They took Jesus at his word. They just took him at his word. And days later, the Holy Spirit came on them, just like Jesus had promised them. Holy Spirit comes on them, and there were a bunch of people, thousands of people, gathered in Jerusalem at the time for this festival called Pentecost. And they're, they're all gathered, and Peter gets up and he preaches. He just tells them about Jesus. And it, the, the scripture tells us 3,000 people that day responded to Jesus, but they didn't know how to respond. They asked, they asked, they asked Peter, what do we do? And, and the text tells us, this is from Acts 2, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people that day responded to Jesus and were baptized. I mean, I just have to think, did Peter have a flashback to that day when he was on the water and Jesus said, hey, put down your nets? And, Jesus, and Peter didn't want to, but he obeyed. And when he did, there was this crazy catch. I wonder, because now on Pentecost, I mean, Jesus said the harvest was plentiful, but 3,000 people responding to Jesus in one day? And that was just the beginning. The beginning of the church. The beginning of people following Jesus together, and we've been doing it ever since. Jesus' goal was to save the world. His plan was to make disciples who make disciples. And to that end, Jesus took fishermen and he made them fishers of men, ordinary people, and called them to do extraordinary things. Peter experienced it firsthand in just like a three-year period. And you know what? We can too. Some of us even are. I think of uh, Zach and Katrina. They, they, they came to our, our first community groups uh, way back four years ago. And through that experience, God had been working in their hearts. They decide, hey, we're going to follow Jesus, and we're going to open our home, and we're going to invite others to do the same. So uh, right here in the rec center pool, they got baptized. It was, it was so fun. And then they start to lead a group in their home, a community group. And that's, that following summer, they are out at the park, and they bumped into John and Trista. They invite them to check out our online service. This is like back in the very, very early days of COVID, okay? We couldn't even gather like this as a church. So we were like, well, let's try an online service. We did an online service. Trista tuned into the first online service. And they start to get more connected. They, they join Zach and Katrina's community group. I mean, it's right across the street, super easy. They grab the kids, they go across, they made some friends, they grew in their faith, and 
few months later, they say, hey, you know what? We want to be all in. We want to follow Jesus too. So Zach and Katrina, right here on this stage, they got to baptize John and Trista. Now, John and Trista have been living on mission. They were kind of doing it even then, and, but they've been continuing to do it ever since. I mean, it's been incredible. Trista invited her friend Chrissy to come check out Connect, and four months after Trista was baptized, she was baptizing Chrissy right here on the stage. And Chrissy's family has since come. They've heard about Jesus. Jacob was even baptized just this past spring. They, John and Trista, they serve on the setup team. John leads on the setup team. Trista coaches some of our kids' leaders. But they live as everyday missionaries. Not just with people like Chrissy at work, but even with their friends' parents at school. Monica, before she moved, she was part of Connect for a long time. Joe and Julie, they've grown in faith because of an invite from John and Trista. You see, here's the crazy thing. We can make a difference, an eternal difference in people's lives. And that's the invitation of Jesus to us. It's just to follow him, to say what he said, to do what he did. And, you know, when we think of making an impact, we often think, okay, like, is God going to call me to end world hunger? Maybe. But he calls every single one of us who follow Jesus to invite others to follow Jesus too. Every single one of us. And it's not something that we do once and then we're done with it. It's how we live our life. We live a life that's a blessing to others. We love those around us. Uh, Like the 12, we follow Jesus together. Like the 12, we go bless those around us. And like the 12, we're sent out to make disciples together. Now, when we take Jesus at his word, I believe we're going to see some pretty incredible things. We, already, we've seen 20 people decide to follow Jesus and be baptized as a church. But I'm praying for thousands. I want to experience Pentecost together. Something like that where the Holy Spirit moves in an incredible way. And thousands upon thousands get to experience new life in Christ. It's not going to be by our power. It's going to be by his power. And it's not for our glory. It's for his glory. But make no doubt about it. How do we make a difference? Well, here's how we make a difference. As followers of Jesus, we multiply for impact, blessing the one far from God every day. It's just how we live as followers of him. So let's pray and let's ask him to make what we see in scripture our story, our reality, and the reality of those around us. So Lord, we come before you and we ask that you would move, that we would experience your power in your presence that we wouldn't just come to listen and hear about you, but we would actually follow you together. That we would learn from one another and learn alongside each other, and that it would be so experiential. Yeah, we're going to blow it at times. The disciples blew it at times. But would you teach us in those moments? And would we know you more? Would we grow as we invite others to know you too? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you didn't just create us for a purpose. You've also empowered us to accomplish that purpose. It's in Jesus' name we pray.